welcome to another Companies versus Climate Change podcast episode. My name is Avril Saunders, and today I am joined by Alexis Kirtan, and we will be discussing his work in clean energy and its relation to environmental justice. Alexis is a clean energy and equity advocate for the Natural Resource Defense Council and the California State Lead for the Energy Efficiency for All project. His work is focused on creating and improving equitable policies and programs that increase community participation while cementing sustainable investments in programs that reduce energy burden and greenhouse gas pollution. Alexis, thank you so much for joining me today. No problem, Avril. I appreciate the opportunity and I'm very happy to be here. Before we get into the conversation, I want to recognize your most recent achievement of being inducted into this year's Green Biz 30 Under 30 cohort. How did you find out you were nominated and what was your reaction when you received the call? Well, first of all, like, thanks for for bringing that up. Uh, for me, ironically, I was on a call with an individual from Green Biz Group doing an interview for their article on racism and clean energy. And upon completion of like you know, giving information for that article, they were asking for all these other information. Can you send a headshot? Can you send a quick little bio and all these things? And then a couple of weeks later, I got the email and I was like, whoa, this is like dope. This is really cool. And, um, you know, being new to the space, I was like, I don't really know what to compare this to, mm -hmm. um, but extremely thankful for like the acknowledgement and the recognition. Like it's more about the work. Uh, so I, I thank Green Biz Group and Joe McCower for that. Uh, so again, thank you for that recognition. Yeah. And I hope you were able to celebrate that because that's such a big achievement. Congratulations. Yes, I was. Thank you so much. We've known each other for about five years, and it's been great witnessing your academic and career path grow from when we were in graduate school in Indiana to you now working in California. But your story actually starts in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? Yes, it does. The home of Black Wall Street. And you know, I was just born in Tulsa. You know, one day I do hope to go back. But a lot of my upbringing is split between uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Atlanta, Georgia. And a question I always get is like, one, like between those two cities, like what was your favorite and why? And for me, it was definitely Atlanta, like no shade to Naptown, um, but there's just so much rich history uh, in that city. And in particular, you know, the Atlanta University Center is really what attracted me, like beyond Fuddruckers and, you know, Brewster's Ice Cream, it was really the quality of education I was able to to get at that university. And that's really the origin of of my career in this space, right? I, I studied uh, sociology. That's what I got my degree in. And, you know, following scholars like W.E.B. Du Bois really taught me how to ask the why question. You know, what are the variables that are influencing my lived experience in this, you know, country and in this world? And, of course, you know, it's race, it's income, it's gender. And, you know, upon graduating from CAU, you know, that's when I really learned that there was another variable that I had never considered as a factor, and that was energy. And like, that's what brought me, and that's what I decided to focus on in my master's degree at SPIA, like School of Public and Environmental Affairs at IU. And during that time, like, it was an incredible uh, moment for me, like one, just being exposed to a field of study that I didn't even know existed, right? I, I grew up parallel to energy, right? Like, you know, 
turn on my lights, heat my home, wash my dishes, but I never understood how the energy actually impacted you know, my quality of life, whether it was the cost of the electricity or lack of access to clean energy, especially as it relates to environmental justice. And so upon graduating with my master's, I was very fortunate to apply for the Environmental Fellowship Program through the University of Michigan. And that was an opportunity for minority students to get exposure to the energy and environmental industry where historically, you know, there have been barriers for that type of exposure. And, and I was um, lucky enough to be selected for that and was paired with a nonprofit in Seattle, Washington named Spark Northwest. And during that time, I had an incredible uh, manager, Michaela Gonzalez, and, you know, we were researching or, or studying energy burden. And there was a, a report by the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy, and it was speaking about how energy burden in Seattle was about 3.5%, so virtually it doesn't exist. And for me, I was like, well, let's take a deeper dive. And what I realized when I looked at the numbers is that uh, many of the individuals that fall within that 3.5% of being energy burden were low-income individuals and were people of color. And so I internalized that as if it's, if it's a small number, then the problem doesn't exist. And then that means our process, people of color or low income are kind of erased from like the mainstream uh, discussion around solutions. And so when I recognized that, I said, I, I need to go and get exposure, you know, in a place that will allow for me to one, like research these issues deeper, and then also from a wider perspective. And so, you know, I was, presenting my research in San Francisco when I had the opportunity of meeting the executive director for the Los Angeles office for grid alternatives, uh, Michael Kadish. And you know, we were chopping it up and he said, Alexis, like, I love your passion. I love the work that you do. I think there's a place for you at grid alternatives. And, you know, that's when I met, you know, Zach Franklin, the chief strategy officer. And he was like, Hey, I think you can be, you know, our first electric vehicle fellow. And, you know, voila, like I'm in California and, and I'm serving in that role and very fortunate to be able to be, to, to, to serve in that role and then also like managing California's first clean vehicle grants program. And so I'm transitioning now from looking at energy burden to looking at transportation equity issues, right? And so that means like, what does it look like to have access to transportation that's easily acceptable what does it look like having transportation that's available to you that isn't powered by fossil fuels, right? That doesn't pollute, you know, as a means for you to get from point A to point B. And in managing this program and engaging with a number of, you know, different air districts in the area, working with individuals at CARB, I realized that there was a social justice and or, you know, racial justice issue within this work as well. And I said, well, this is what I want to focus on, right? This is my focus because I, I essentially want to improve the lift condition of people that look like me and they come from my, my background. And so that's when I found this incredible organization called the Green Mining Institute, who is a racial equity advocacy organization, you know, focused on energy, environment, technology, health and economics and I had the opportunity of serving as their environmental equity summer associate 
and looking at the larger scale issues when it comes to transportation mobility uh, equity issues and had an incredible experience uh, in that role met some like my cohort was amazing you know Joel Asino and and Hannah Krieger and Carmelita Miller just incredible people that I was able to build relationships with and really grow and learn in that space and I started to think like what's the next step what's the larger platform that will offer me to not look at state issues but also national issues and that's where I found myself at uh, NRDC in the current role I'm in and so the journey has really been an incredible one and I'm, I'm happy to be here doing this work now that's great you were able to get experience and energy early on in your career and learn more about what it is you wanted to do as it led to your position at the NRDC and you've been there for a little bit over a year now. So can you describe the work that you do as a clean energy and equity advocate? Absolutely. So in this role, I've been able to transition from not just identifying the problem, but also being a part of the solution making process and advocating for equitable solutions. And so right now you could separate my work into three buckets, right? Energy efficiency, uh, sustainable investments, and equitable civic engagement and really starting from the energy efficiency side it's advocating for a statewide program called LIWIP which is the low-income weatherization program and this program provides low-income households especially in like multifamily uh, properties access to solar installation systems as well as energy efficiency upgrades at no cost to residents and understanding that this program you know won't be funded next year historically like historically it's been funded through uh greenhouse gas reduction funds but california is going through a lot of transitions right now and this program is at risk and so i'm continuously advocating for it to be funded because the impact is needed um, i also advocate for workforce development and what from that context, like we understand that we're gonna have a just transition, right? Transitioning from a fossil fuel economy to a green economy. And we would like to see the communities who historically have been impacted by the fossil fuel industry, being able to like be captains of their fate and, and actually be able to learn how to install these new and emerging technologies. And how do we make sure that the, that the income that they're paid you know, is equitable, right? It's prevailing wage, it's a high road job. And I want to reference uh, UC Berkeley's uh, Labor Center who just published uh, a high road jobs uh, policy framework. So please everybody like reference that document, it, it's trailblazing. And the other piece is building electrification, right? Understanding that it's not just cars that are emitting uh, into the atmosphere. It's also buildings as well. And so how do we transition all buildings to be electrified? And I wanna give a shout out to Carmelita Miller and the Green Mining Institute and reference our listeners to the Equitable Building Electrification Report. You know, that really lays out what it means to make that process of the transition more equitable uh, so that, you know, the communities benefit as much as the owners. And you know, the second piece is sustainable investments, right? Going back to advocating for LIWIP, right? There are a number of other programs in the state that need deep sustainable funding in order for the impact that is needed to address the problems that they're currently facing. And 
The third bucket is equitable civic engagement. Like I've actively been trying to come up with creative solutions to engage the community in this decision-making process, right? And COVID has only exacerbated some of the issues in trying to make that come to fruition. And so just at a very high level, you know, those are some of the things that, you know, I do in my work and, you know, it's a learning curve, right? Every day I'm learning something new. I can only imagine the challenges that come with advocating for clean energy in communities of color and the roadblocks that you probably face in that process. But despite all of that, what is it that keeps you motivated to continue doing this work? Well, it's really, it's three things, right? It, it's the past, it's the present and the future, right? The, the past being my father and the you know, imprint that he's left on me and just the importance of being a civil servant right, serving your community, understanding that you are important, but also what you can provide to other people is just as important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the present really being, well, present and future, right, is my niece, right? Every Everything I'm doing um, is really for her. Like my, my intention and my legacy, you know, for the future is that I hope that, you know, when she is of age, you know, and she's thinking about, you know, what job or career she wants to go into, that I've made energy or the environment, you know, cool enough, a cool enough option for her to, you know, think about being a, a leader in, right? A business owner, an advocate, a, an engineer, and that her skin color nor her gender will be a barrier for her, uh, for her success. And so it's it's really keeping those three things, you know, within my line of sight and, and within my tunnel vision that motivate me to keep going. When you mention your niece and wanting to influence her, it makes me think of representation and how that's so important. You and I have both been in rooms, academic and professional, where we might be the only person of our race or our race and our gender. So by simply showing up and being who you are and doing the work that you do, that gives an example to younger kids who might be looking for themselves in this field as well. And that has such a profound impact on influencing the next generation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it 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 is challenging, right? But it's I think the it's worth the journey. Um, and it, and if I can inspire the next generation of leaders behind me, I mean, I'll do this ten times over. So uh, I appreciate the opportunity again. Outside of your work at the NRDC, you're involved in several other activities and organizations. Could you tell me about those? Absolutely. So I most recently have been able to join this entity called the Global Shapers Community in Oakland Hub, right? And it's an offshoot of the World Economic Forum. It's an opportunity for early career professionals who are really focused and excited about creating a change where they live, uh, regionally, right, or, or locally. And we have been gathered uh, initially to start our first event, which will be our civic engagement event, really to get people energized to vote in November. Um, but please be on the lookout for other events in the coming months. Um, but definitely you know, check us out on our website, globalshapers.com, Oakland Hub, uh, to learn more. And the second piece is really a personal project of mine. I started it in graduate school. Um, the Alexis Kiritan High Aspiration Scholarship is very special to me. Like, it, it comes from the 
origin of, you know, when I was a graduating senior at Clark Atlanta, I was one of very few people who was going to get their uh, secondary degree. Many of my colleagues or friends at the time, you know, were getting jobs, right? And um, there were a lot of barriers that I struggled to navigate. And so I've created this scholarship to help future uh, graduating seniors from Clark Atlanta University uh, overcome those barriers, right? And so far, I've been able to put three kids, uh, not kids, young adults through uh, graduate school, and it, it's an incredible feeling. And so um, it's been self-funded these past couple of years, and I'm looking to actually do some fundraising. So please, if you support the mission, uh, please give me a shout out. I'd love a donation. <laughs> and also the last piece is something that's really special to me is working with the talented Kai Frazier with her organization, Kai XR. And Kai XR is an augmented reality a company that focuses on creating a space for a safe space for children uh, to really engage with this emerging technology, right? And it was born out of this idea, you know, Kai is a, a past museum curator, and she realized that she was having problems with getting the kids to the museum. And she had this epiphany where it's like, well, why not bring the museum to the kids, i.e., and that is how Kai XR was born. And so we're working now to come up with some creative ideas around intersecting with energy and the environment. So please give a lookout, or please stay on the lookout for that. And you know, shout out to Kai XR. All of those programs sound awesome, especially your high aspiration scholarship. I commend you for that. Um, it's you. important to you know find these things that allow us to step away from the nine to five, but still allow you to dedicate time to the things that you're passionate about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I saw a post on Instagram that said, you know, if you don't make time for your wellness or things that bring you peace, then you have to make time for your illness. And, you know, that really resonated with me as someone who uh, is a workaholic, right? I don't want to burn out early, right? Not mm -hmm. just mentally, but physically too. And so understanding this is a long game and I have to take care of myself. So it's very important to like find my passions and, and really dig into them when I have the time. Right, and have that balance, exactly. Now I wanna get into the reason behind the work that you do, and it's this concept of environmental justice, which according to the EPA is defined as the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people, regardless of race, color, national origin, or income, with respect to the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policies. So even in this definition, we see that there is a relationship between environmental justice, racial justice, and social equity, meaning that you can't achieve one without the other. So when and how did you first realize that these concepts were related? I think throughout my life, I was seeing the connection, like visually, but in my head, it wasn't processing, right? I didn't have the language or the tools to be able to connect everything, right? But I think when it finally clicked, it, it was at my time at the Green Mining Institute, when I really started looking at the origin of some of the issues, the environmental or energy justice um, issues in California, looking, looking at it from a racial equity lens, I was like, these things are connected. Like if you look at, you know, Highway 880 and 980, 
going from the Oakland airport really to downtown Oakland, you understand that that highway is cutting directly through communities, um, yeah, communities, right, where they live. And uh, I'll never forget when I first left California and I saw that, I'm like, this is in someone's backyard. And then, you know, there was a, a Harvard report or study that cited a correlation between um, the distance that you drive to work being correlated with the amount of income that you'll generate. And, you know, understanding that oftentimes right now, housing, we're experiencing a housing crisis in California. The cost of living is is ridiculously high and so we're having to live farther from where we work so what does that mean we're spending we're spending more money on our transportation mm -hmm. which means we're also polluting more right and then the money that we are able to generate it's not going to where we need it to and it's not going to the utility bill that's due right it's not going to our health bill it's going to it's going to i need to make sure i can get from point a to point b every day right so that's uh, I think that's just an example uh, of a time where it really just clicked for me. I think I was getting breadcrumbs, right, from graduate school, from Seattle, um, from Grid Alternatives, and then at Grain Mining, it was really cemented. And as you mentioned, highways being built next to neighborhoods, you think of the implications of that, air quality issues, health complications, especially respiratory from dust and vehicle emissions. And now we're battling this global pandemic and we see issues of access to testing and healthcare in these same communities. So how has COVID-19 exposed or even heightened the inequalities that you seek to address? I mean, you've, you've summarized it beautifully, um, but I feel like this pandemic has only confirmed what many environmental and energy justice advocates have been saying for years. Um, that it's not enough to just do performative acts, right? It's about pen to paper. And I want to reiterate that, you know, these communities need deep, sustained um, investments. And I believe that there needs to be some creative solutions around, you know, paying them to engage in the decision-making process because there's, there's time that is required to do these things and right now individuals have to spend their time on generating income to take care of themselves and their families right to be able to join a city council meeting at one o'clock on a tuesday is impossible for a single mom with two kids right we know that scenario exists so how are we creating solutions to those problems and you know, those are some of the things that I just think about um, that it, that COVID has heightened, right? The importance of uh, community feedback loop and community engagement. And, and right now, everybody's remote, right? So it's really no excuse around how we can be more inclusive to those who historically have not been included. As we come to the close of what has been such a great conversation, I want to talk about what is next for you. As you move forward in your career, what improvements would you like to see in the communities that you work in and in the clean energy sector as a whole? Well, what's next for my career? I would definitely want to improve on my political maturation. And, you know, that's really citing Malcolm X's ballot of the bullet speech, like really wanting to understand how do I go beyond voting or supporting the people who 
you know, my, my job tells me to support or, you know, the uh, talking heads on Twitter or like LinkedIn, you know, what, how do I make an informed decision beyond the opinion of those closest to me, right? And, and how can I be an informed voter, and, right? And how can I make that process simpler for people who don't have uh, the privilege to be able to do that as freely or as easily as uh, I'm able to do? I think the second piece is really, again, going back to standardizing, simplifying the uh, community feedback loop and like what that means. Like, for example, I didn't mention this earlier, but I'm involved in a number of proceedings at the California Public Utilities Commission. And every time I attend a meeting there, I realize that this would be a great opportunity for the community to actually hear what's going on. But I doubt that there's a public you know, communication process outside of emails, like if you're not on the listserv, how are you being notified of this? And then maybe transportation shuttles, just, just really trying to come up with like, you know, keep it simple, stupid solutions, right? That like can really allow for the community to understand how decisions are made that impact them and then how they can be a party um, to that process and actively engage. Uh, those are two of the main things uh, that I want to focus on, you know, going forward. And then also I'm, I'm really toying around the idea of a PhD. Um, so Dr. Reams, I know that sounds like music to your ears, man, so let's talk, but, uh, you know, definitely excited for those three things. When you mentioned Malcolm X's ballot or the bullet speech, and now, you know, it's election season, the responsibility of education is definitely held on both sides. As members of our community, it's important that we learn about current elected officials and those running for office. And then also not just voting for the presidential candidate, but doing the research to make sure that we're making educated votes all the way down the ballot. And on the other side of that, elected officials need to really know about the communities that they serve and incorporate more avenues for public engagement and feedback in the policy process. Earlier in our talk, I read the EPA's definition of environmental justice. And for my last question, I would like to know what environmental justice means to you and how do you think we can achieve it? Great question. Uh, to me, environmental justice means accountability. It means financial restitution for past transgressions and you know, future investments for issues that exist today and for those that will develop based on decisions that were made in the past, right? I, I truly can't, I truly believe that you can't move forward without addressing past issues. Um, and I think that's achieved, you know, one by voting in November, we have to get a administration into office that really understands and respects science and fact and you know, lived experiences, I think that's extremely important. And also, the second thing I believe is it's embodying the audacity of hope. Like, we have to keep the faith that our efforts are not in vain. And the critical piece is educating the youth and exposing them and showing them that their involvement in this fight is extremely important, right? Uh, because they are, the, they are the future and together we are the cure. Alexis, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. 
no problem. I am like, <laughs> again, I'm so honored, Ms. Saunders, because again, like I reference, I think back a lot to my time at SPIA and am thankful for, you know, students like you and students like Bravo Taylor who were there, you know, before I attended and really set an example for like what it means to be a, a SPIA student uh, and be a black SPIA student, right? So. I thank you for setting that example and then, you know, giving me this opportunity. Uh, I really appreciate it. Of course. And you've been an example to me and so many others as well. I wish you all the best with future endeavors in your work and personal projects. And I want to thank you again. If you would like to learn more about what Alexis is doing, make sure to follow him on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram at lex underscore Q-U-R-E and by visiting his website, www.alexiskirton.com. You can also stay connected with Companies versus Climate Change by following us on LinkedIn or visiting our website at www.solveclimatechange.com. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and take care.